Over the past few years, as uh, Beck and I have started our journey into vocational ministry, I've learned a lot. I've learned that I'm not as fit as I used to be, and I can't keep up with the grade nine boys. I've learned that when you're going to play dodgeball, try and get Jason Caulfield on your team, because he's got a wicked pitch. And I've learned I've got some limits. I can run out of energy, I can't remember everyone's names, and sometimes the schedule for me is just a little bit too much between uh, things at home and things here, and, and knowing when you're supposed to meet for dinners and lunches, and yeah, I've learned my limits. Some of the limits I've learned are actually relationship limits. Um, limits like the kind of people I'm most comfortable around and the kind of people I'm not the most comfortable around. And uh, actually, some of these limits are the limits I've set in my life, things that I've decided. I've decided I'm not going to cross this limit, not this one. Things like I'm not going to go too close to people who really oppose what I believe sometimes. Or maybe I'm not going to go too close to people who offend me or threaten me. I think we all set these kinds of limits in our lives, and we set them because we think we're protecting ourselves but we don't realize that we're actually cutting people off. We're cutting people off because we're setting love limits that we're just not willing to cross and go beyond. People that we're not willing to go to. Today we're going to look at Prophet Jonah, who was similar, set a love limit that just wasn't willing to go beyond. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word and the truth that is in it, the authority that comes from that, oh God, we, we look to you. We are sinful and we've cut people off, oh God, and we know that you want for us to have a heart like yours. So mold us this evening. May your words speak clearly into our lives. May we be submissive to you. Amen. I love the story of Jonah. Great story. It's a big storm, big fish that swallows a dude up. That's crazy. I mean, it's a really cool story. And I can just imagine, when I, when I look through Old Testament scripture, I like reading it because I like picturing what it would have been like to have learned this story for the first time. Back then, they wouldn't have had the printing press and, and, and fancy pictures and, and uh, PowerPoint. Instead, they would have had a man who could tell the story with detail. And there's just something about a person that can tell a good story. And you would sit there, I can just picture these kids sitting around this older man saying, tell us, tell us about the scripture, tell us about our God. And he'd go, okay, we're going to go to, we're going to speak about Chronicles, and the kids would go, oh, Jonah, tell us the story of Jonah. And so he would start, chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to that great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now for these kids, they would have just been amazed. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Wow, how precious, how nice that would have been for Jonah to have the word of God come straight to him. But whoa, God's asking Jonah to go to Nineveh? Nineveh was the center, the metropolis of the Assyrian culture. This was the opposing culture. This would have been like asking one of our pastors to go into the center of ISIS. 
They were threatening to the Israel culture. They were the people that opposed them. They were not their friends. They were the enemy. And so these young boys, I can picture them being like, oh, God's asked him to go preach against it. He's going to bring down fire on the Ninevites. And then here comes the story twist, the first twist. But Jonah ran. I can just see these, oh, Jonah ran? Why would Jonah run? He was given a clear message. He knew what he was supposed to do, but he ran? He had the message of God, go to hear and declare. And he ran. He ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port, and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Well, he did a lot of things, except go to Nineveh. If you want to have an idea of what Tarshish is like in terms of distance, going to Tarshish would have been like going from Toronto to Calgary. And going to Nineveh would have been like going from Toronto to Quebec City. Right? If you have any concept of geography, if you don't know this, hint, hint, Quebec City's much closer. (laughs) And Jonah decided to go much further. He really wanted to distance himself. He did everything but go to Nineveh. And, and this reminds me so much, I remember the first time uh, I read this, and it just, the first picture that came into my mind is, is Facebook. When somebody sends you a message, or you, sorry, wrong way, when you send someone else a message, and you send them a message like, hey, wanna grab dinner sometime? And they, you watch what they're doing on Facebook, and they're doing tons of other things, but not getting back to you, okay? All right, there's this thing called read receipts on Facebook. Basically, what it tells you is that person has read your message at a certain time, and that's it. <laughs> like, it basically makes you leave and wondering, like, okay, I, you heard me, now what? Like, what are you going to do? You're just so scared. It'd be like, okay, I know some of you are on Facebook, so let's, let's think of something else. It'd be like caller ID, okay? You get the caller ID, you look at the phone, you're like, oh no, it's that person, it's that 1-800 number, it's that aunt you don't really want to talk to. Not that I have any of those. And um, <laughs> I don't, I promise. <laughs> and you would, and what you do is you hang up the phone because you don't want to talk to that person, right? But imagine on the other end of the line that person is picking up the phone and they hear, hi there, Thank you for calling today. The person you're trying to reach really doesn't want to talk to you. They saw it was you and decided not to listen. You could leave a message. They probably don't care. Beep. And this is what Jonah did. He had a clear message from God, didn't respond, just went the other way, did his own thing. And just like I imagine it would have been for those boys, it should shock us today. The fact that someone would know what God is asking of them and just do something else. And when it comes to our limits, our love limits, I'm afraid that this is possibly what happens is that we are listening and we hear God and we get to a sermon and at the end of the sermon we go, wow, that was a great sermon, thumbs up, pastor. And then we go home. And we don't necessarily live out what we were called to do. We got the message, but we didn't live it out. With our students, when I, when I meet with them in a small group, I'll ask them, so how was the service? How was, tell me about it. You know, what did you learn? Oh, it was good. I go, that's great. The pastor received your approval. God has received your approval. That's fantastic. Now, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to live now? 
What is going to change about your life now that you've gotten this wonderful, amazing message that you approve of? What's going to change? How are you going to live? If we want to expand our love limits, if we want to get rid of these things, these things that we're separating ourselves from other people, we're going to have to practice listening and acting, hearing and doing. We have to believe that listening isn't the same thing as loyalty. Loyalty requires action, and Jonah needed to act. He needed to do as God asked him, but Jonah ran. But why did Jonah run? That's, that's what we want to know, because then we can avoid why Jonah did it. So let's, let's get to here in verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship, bound for that port, and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. To flee from the Lord. I mean, when you read this in the ESV, it actually says to flee from the presence of the Lord. Oh, flee from the presence of the Lord. The first time I read that, I was, I was shocked. I, I mean, I was looking for something like, and Jonah was sore afraid. Or maybe like, and Jonah felt unequipped. Or Jonah didn't have enough resources. And, or Jonah, you know, had a bad headache. Or, or, you know, I was looking for something else. And I realized when I was reading that and I was looking for something, I was not looking for this because I was looking for an excuse. Um, I was looking for a reason to be like, God, I'm, I'm just not expanding my love limits. I'm not, I'm not willing to go to those people, not because I'm afraid of them. I'm just not doing it because I don't like them. But really, what we're seeing here is that there's something significant to Jonah, something that I've missed before about the presence of the Lord. If we turn to chapter 4, verse 1, we're going to find out, Jonah's going to speak a little more detail about what he meant by that. So Jonah goes to Nineveh eventually by um, uh, air whale um, or something, and he gets to Nineveh, he does as God asks, and God relents and does not send calamity. God does not bring down destruction. So in verse 1 of chapter 4, But to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord? When I was still at home, this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. Jonah was trying to forestall God's grace on the Ninevites. Jonah did not want that to happen. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God. I knew that you were slow to anger and abounding in love and a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Wow. Jonah was fleeing God's presence because he didn't want the Ninevites to be saved. Is that our heart for the people on the other side of our love limits? Do we realize that when we, when we cut someone out, when we, if we are harboring, with, fantastically harboring the Holy Spirit in our life, if we go and we bring God with us and God, God gets to be in people's lives when we are with them, and when we cut them off, that means we're cutting them off from God. We're choosing to do that at, at, at the most effort that we can. Fortunately, our God looks beyond our personal abilities and uses a whole church to reach out to people. But that's what Jonah decided. He wanted nothing to do with the saving of the Ninevites. It's a, a sad truth that Jonah thought that 
God's proximity, the closeness of God, was meant for his personal pleasure. It's sad because what Jonah was thinking was, if I distance myself from God this much, then I don't have to be exposed to my selfishness. Jonah didn't want to be in part of this whole saving process because that would mean he'd have to be exposed to the limits that he'd set on his life. That would mean that he'd have to be exposed to the fact that he didn't have a heart like his God. And that's a scary reality. It's a scary place to be in. I mean, all this time, I've been growing up thinking that the presence of the Lord was just this pleasureful place where you just go and it's Sunday morning praising, arms open. It's, it's the day of your wedding day kind of happiness and Jonah's saying he's fleeing it because the reality is where God's presence is is where his holiness is, and where his holiness is, there is no tolerance for sin. So therefore, if you're harboring a love limit, a sin spot, a location in which you're just not willing to let God have proximity, you're going to feel some discomfort. And that's good. We need to. We need to feel that kind of discomfort because otherwise we won't grow to be more like God if we keep harboring our sin like that. Let's read on. God has a, an amazing story to follow all of this decision-making that Jonah has made. Verse 4 of chapter 1. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. Now, these are sailors. These are guys that their job is to transport people on water, and they're terrified. They would be used to water that would be a little bit rocky, but this is the kind of storm that is, you know, making them shake in their sailor boots. But Jonah had gone below deck where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Can you see how God is moving here in this situation? God, Jonah has said, I'm not going to be part of this, God. I'm not going to be part of you trying to interact with the Ninevites. And here's God sending a storm to not just get Jonah's attention, but to actually get the sailors' attention. They're already getting a little scared. They're already calling out to God, and their direction went to Jonah. They went to the passenger of their, their job is to make this passenger get somewhere, and they're like, of all, you know, they pick Jonah. They're like, all right, Jonah, come on. You, you're here with us. You're going to help us figure this out. God is moving in this situation. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. I don't know if you know what lots are. Lots are like dice. They're like a, a thing that you would throw. They used them for gambling. Um, I don't know how many family road trips you've been on, but you probably don't play board games in the van on the way, right? Because the chess pieces will fall and things like that. So imagine trying to play with lots on a big ship in the midst of a huge storm. I'm pretty sure Jonah thought the favors were in his odds, or odds were in his favors that way. That's the right way to say it. Sorry. And I can just picture Jonah's face when he's like, the lot fell on me. He's, he's starting to clue in here. 
So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? These guys are asking a lot of questions because they realize they're pretty hopeless. They've tried a lot of things. They've tried throwing things off the ship. They've tried, you know, calling out to their own gods. They've asked a guy to come up. They've thrown a few lots. They're like, I don't know what to do. Tell us what we need to do. God has set them up for Jonah to answer. And God has set Jonah up to say, hey, my job here, Jonah, your job here is to just do as I tell you. So answer the question. I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? Because they knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. Here we are back with that presence thing. The proximity, the presence of God. Um, the way this, this proximity and controlling thing that shows up in our lives is, a, is different with everyone, I think. But I think what happens is we actually say, God, I don't want you to come too close to me and my finances because then you're going to expect me to give a little more. Or God, I don't want you to come too close to my family because then I'm going to have to trust you with my family. God, if I let you too close to how I control my schedule, to how I control this, to how I control. I'm going to have to give it up to you. That's what happens in God's presence. You see, as much as I made the mistake that proximity to God doesn't always equal pleasure, it's, it's really, the, the answer is not that we don't always have pleasure. It's that we just, we don't, we're not supposed to be close to God and pleased with ourselves. We're supposed to be close to God and pleased with Him. In God's presence, we're most excited about Him. And as much as He might be in our lives and, and we're celebrating the work He's done in our lives, and, and yes, we're part of that story, but He is the primary thing that we celebrate when we're close to Him. So proximity doesn't equal pleasure in the way that it, it makes us pleased with our sin. It makes us pleased with him. So these, uh, so these sailors are terrified. And they ask, what have you done? The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? And he said, pick me up, throw me in the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. See, Jonah's already teaching a little bit about what it means to sacrifice. Now, these guys are calling out to their gods, and they were throwing stuff off the ship, but they weren't figuring out that with sin requires sacrifice. And Jonah was set up to tell them that. God made it clear to Jonah that he had to say to these people, he had to say to these sailors, listen, where the sin is, there needs to be a sacrifice. We know that. We know that because Jesus Christ paid that sacrifice for us. Instead, these men, in verse 13, instead these men, they did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. 
they realize, the, they've learned about sin and sacrifice. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And then they took Jonah, and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So funny how Jonah was trying to flee the presence of the Lord in order to hold off God's salvation uh, on the Ninevites. It's so crazy how Jonah thought he could do all this manipulation to control how God would use him. And God's like, nuh-uh, these are my seas. This is my ship. These are my people I will chase after. Um, uh, what we don't always know is that this is not the first time we heard about Jonah. Actually, we hear about Jonah in 2 Kings chapter 14. And in this passage, it says, it's very short, but it says that Jonah was used by the Lord to help Israel expand their borders. That's pretty significant. I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but I can't even picture what it would look like for a Christian religious leader today to lead a country to expand its borders, to have such geographical influence. Maybe that's because we feel like we're living in a land of enemies, a land of people that, we, maybe we feel like we're living among the Ninevites. That's what it is. But Jonah was set up his whole life to be the guy, the prophet for Israel. He probably even trained under a school of prophets, or the, 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 sometimes they call it the sons of prophets. And what that would mean is that he would train under the studying of Elijah and Elisha, and he would be studying to be a prophet, similar to seminary. And Jonah was geared up. He was ready. I mean, he got to be part of a really cool thing, the expanding of the borders of Israel. He's got, he's got a location outside of the book where he made a bunch of mistakes. And, uh, and that's what Jonah was aiming for. He was aiming to be the prophet for Israel. He wanted to be one of the famous prophets that got to be used by God and call the Israelites out of their idolatry. And that's what he had to aim for. It's a good thing to aim for. It was a, it was a good thing. We do this all the time. We, we study up on Scripture. We learn, and we, we go to seminary, and we, we go to our Bible studies, and we study to do good things. Sometimes God calls us to a different mission, and that's what was happening. God was calling Jonah to go beyond his love limits. And so Jonah was willing, eventually. But it took a lot of work. Jonah was aiming for something else. He, was, he didn't have accuracy. There's a story I want to share with you about a, a guy in the Olympics, in the 2004 Olympics. He was an Olympic athlete, that did American rifle shooting. If you want to know more about rifle shooting and, and things like that, go and talk to Kenny Blackburn. He's a man. Right, Kenny? And this guy, Matt Emmons, he competed in a three-position event. And the way it works is that you would lie down on your stomach and shoot. You'd, stand on your, you'd be on your knees and you'd shoot, and then you'd stand on your, your feet and you'd shoot. And Matt Emmons, you, you, this is the kind of things that you, gotta, you have to train and train and train. You had to be able to take a shot in between your heartbeat. I mean, it takes me like a while to find, oh no, there it is. Um, <laughs> uh, it took a lot of training for Matt Emmons to be prepared for the Olympics. 
and it's such a minute, a small amount of distance between the winner and, and the second place, like millimeters. You've got to have great accuracy, great aim. And Matt was training, and he was ready, and so he gets to the final shot. He's just so close to winning gold. Literally only needed a mediocre shot, and so he aims. He's got his sight on properly, I think. I'm, 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 am I holding this right, Calvin? Yeah, great. Um, and so Matt is aiming down the rifle, and he's got it in his sights. Bang! Great shot. Good accuracy. Good, good close shot. But then he puts the rifle down. He got zero. Because what Matt was aiming at was the target in the other lane. Matt came eighth that day. This is Jonah. This is what he was doing. Training. Getting ready. Excited. Aiming. He's geared up. But God told him to aim at this target. But he was so adamant that he did not want to go to the Ninevites. He did not want to see that people saved. He was so focused. He's like, God, why the Ninevites? I love the Israelites. I mean, we make, you know, you know you're in a Syrian when kind of jokes all the time. I like the Israelites. Why the Ninevites? But God had a different aim for him different focus. We've been aiming in our lives, and that's good. It's been good f- for us to study how to aim. But before we shoot, we should definitely be talking to God about our accuracy. Who's his target in our life? We've been cutting off people, bosses, neighbors, family members. We've been cutting them off Because we're just uncomfortable, or we don't like them, or they oppose us, they threaten us. And God is preparing them, just like he was preparing these sailors. He prepared the Ninevites. Jonah came in, it took him three days, he had had a very simple thing to say, and in the end, the Ninevites repented. God could be preparing the people on the other side of your love limits, the people you've cut off. And it really, we're not expected to do a lot of work. We just share the gospel. It's a good truth. We share our heart. And God does all the work. It's really quite amazing. When Jesus Christ was here on earth, he didn't take listening and loyalty and make them the same thing. He heard God's word and he did what he was told to do. He listened and he followed through. He knew that listening wasn't the kind of thing where we get an option afterwards to really like, maybe I won't do it kind of thing. If God's told and telling you to do something, if scripture is calling us out on it, we got to do that. Jesus understood that that we are to let God be close to us. Proximity is something important. Being close to, close to God and letting his light illuminate 
our reflection of his goodness. We have to not be managing God's proximity to try and manage our personal pleasures. And Jesus Christ had perfect accuracy. We learned today about him and the lady who washed his feet. We learn about him spending time with tax collectors, sinners, people that opposed him. I mean, you think about Paul. Jesus Christ knew that Paul was going to be there holding the coats and facilitating the murder of someone who loved him. Jesus Christ did not allow love limits into his life. And neither should we. My hope is that as a church, we would, we would do this. We wouldn't allow love limits in our, in our hearts, in our social groups, our social media, maybe. That we would have hearts that recognize the mistakes that Jonah made. That recognize the way that Christ overcame these things to empower us to not make those mistakes. My heart is that that person, maybe it's your boss, that person, maybe it's that person who writes all those awful things on your social media for teens. I mean, with our high schoolers, the way I explained it was this. Usually what they end up doing, and no fault to them, we love them. But usually what a high schooler will do is when they, when they invite a friend over to church, they'll, they'll typically look for the friend that'll fit in at the church the easiest. They'll look at the person that, you know, they don't swear too often, and you know, their Facebook feed is semi-clean. They'll, they're picking and choosing the people because they're worried about what it would be like to let someone in beyond their love limits, to invite them out to church. I don't think that goes away very easily in, into our adulthood. I don't think we easily drop those things. I think we disguise them. But I'm pretty sure that if, if we really understood Christ's heart, if we continue to seek that out and seek to let the proximity of God change us, that we'd be reaching more people that are outside of our love limits, and we would be more like Jesus and less like Jonah. I'm going to ask um, the band to come up. We're going to sing a song of committing our hearts to loving outside of our love limits. So let's pray. Lord, you have been incredibly good to us. We thank you for this great scripture, this great truth. Thank you that you did not count us outside of your love limits. You died for us. We ask, oh God, that tonight we would not let this, uh, this just go in the, in the pile, but that we would move, we would act, that we would not just be hearers but doers of the word. Guide our hearts, guide our actions, 
and help us that we would go outside of our love limits to reach those who are lost. In your name we pray. Amen.